This is Both Wonderful and Strange, the Twin Peaks podcast. My name is Chris Van Howe. So here we are at the end. In this episode, Amelia and I will be discussing the final part, part 18 of Twin Peaks The Return. We have a great conversation coming for you. One of my favorites that, that she and I have done. It's been a long time coming. We've had... Uh, Lots of life happened since we discussed part 17, and I think that's been good because it's given us some extra time to process the end of this incredible piece of art, storytelling, television, film, falls into all of those categories. And before we get to the conversation, I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about endings and what we as a viewing audience and fans of shows are entitled to or not entitled to, um, but how to process the end of something. All of these stories end, and there have been examples of famous, well-loved television shows that have ended in ways that have angered a lot of people or disappointed a lot of people. The two foremost examples I can think of of that are the ending of Lost and the ending of The Sopranos, where a lot of questions were left unanswered and things weren't tied up in a neat little bow. There are shows like Breaking Bad that has a, a pretty definitive ending and, you know, dots a lot of the I's, crosses a lot of the T's, and that's it feels like a different experience. Uh, the ending of Twin Peaks the original season was an ending of a story that was hijacked by forces that were not creative, you know, networks and, and executives and ratings and all those things led to the, to the premature end of that show, or maybe it ended right on time because it, it seemed to run out of road at that point. But the, the ending that Lynch gave us the first time around was very, aggressive and punishing and he took our hero and laid him as low as possible he left all of our other beloved characters you know in life or death situations with no idea no possible way to understand what had happened to them and we had to wait 25 years to get some of those answers and so now as we approach the end of this I think it's this is a really interesting test case because we're not going to get answers to all the questions that were asked in the series. And I don't think it's that important that we do. The, the story is what you think about it, how it makes you feel, um, what it triggers in you, what, what, you know, creative bursts of thought, what, what memories, what fears, all those things like that's all still there, regardless of, of what the ending is, regardless of the ending is like final, perfect. Now we know everything that happened. We can never think about it again because it's in this, this neat little bow. Um, we're not going to get that. We didn't get that, but yet the experience remains and, and watching all of those things, watching all these episodes, all these, these, these weird scenes, these great moments, these, these terrifying themes and things that we've been we've been given through all this, like that's still there. That experience remains regardless of what the end is and what questions are answered. So my argument for television shows ending has always been focused on the journey. Like the end's not a destination. Like it's not shows aren't striving to get to that one point. Maybe some are, but not many are. And very few have 
when they've tried to do that have ever done so successfully. Um, don't take for granted everything that happened along the way to get to the end. Use the end as a springboard to the thoughts that you had. The it's all there for you now. Like you can, it, it's it. You own the experience. Twin Peaks: The Return was Lynch's. It was Frost. It was all these actors and actresses and and set designers and directors of photography and lighter, you know, people lighting the set and and all that. Like it was all theirs and now it is all ours. And though it is over and though the end may not have been what you hoped, or maybe you thought it was perfect. I thought it was like 95% perfect. And then 5%, huh? And then that 5% is slowly like molding into that 95% perfect where it's like, Oh, I, I like this. I like, I like where we're at, but view it all as a whole. It's not just the end. So with that, let's get to the end of my conversations with Amelia regarding Twin Peaks, the return. This is our last episode recapping the show. I suspect that she and I will return in some way, shape or form in the future to, to dig deeper. Uh, we've got Twin Peaks, the final dossier coming out at the end of October, the the next Mark Frost book. So there could be some interesting things in there that might be worth a conversation. Um, I also am pondering revisiting the original series and sort of putting our, our own spin on that and getting a whole cohesive uh, group, uh, you know, finishing this podcast, having everything Twin Peaks represented here. So that's coming down the road now with our discussion of part 18 of Twin Peaks The Return. Here is myself and Amelia Van Howe. like to welcome back to both wonderful and strange my co-host what is your name <laughs> amelia ah that's right that's right uh we are discussing part 18 of twin peaks the return which the tagline is what is your name uh question that is asked twice in this episode as we will get to uh this is it the end can't believe we've made it we made it it's uh it's taken us Outside of Twin Peaks world, it's taken Amelia and I quite some time to line things up here. Uh, it's felt like we were on our own 430-mile drive, uh, or or even more so from Odessa, Texas, to Twin Peaks, Washington State, to uh, to, to to accomplish this. So we're really excited to have, be having this discussion. I say we we jump right into it. Sounds good to me. Okay, we. Start part 18 with a vision of the Red Room where we see evil Dale Cooper Stapleganger burning in the chair, just flaming. You know, good riddance. Yeah. Yep. Uh, from there, we get the the other side of the uh, the yin and yang of the, the Dale Cooper Doppelganger Tulpa situation with we see Mike do his uh, electricity trick with the the seed is that what is that what cooper referred to it as the seed yeah yes. mm -hmm. with the seed and the lock of hair that cooper yanked out for him uh dougie shows up reborn in the red room and what are his first words 
where am I? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think like, I, I like that it's not Cooper. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it seems like physically it's Cooper, like it's the body of Cooper, but maybe it's the mind of Dougie, but not like the, the broken mind of Dougie Cooper, but like who Dougie was before Cooper inhabited Dougie. Did, did you get that sense? I did, but you know, maybe, maybe all the, uh, like Cooper Tulpas are, are different iterations of Cooper, uh, excuse me, are different like iterations of Cooper. Maybe they're not all quite the same. Uh, yeah, I don't know. This, this Dougie seemed to have the innocence of Dougie Cooper, but not the, uh, the struggles with daily life. <laughs> yes. Yes. So we then, uh, visit the Jones household in Las Vegas and the red door, and for the first time in this episode, whenever doors are open or there's a lot of people knocking on doors in this episode, at least three instances. Uh, but we always see we always see it from inside the house when it happens. So like the door opens from inside. So we're not looking out, you know, outside in. We're looking inside out. And Dougie is home. He says home and uh, hugs Janie e. and Sonny Jim and. You know, I, I really, I have, I have a lot of, I have high hopes for them. I hope that he can maintain his friendship with the Mitchums, uh, continue doing good work for Lucky Seven Insurance, and you know, just be, be, a, be a, be kind of like in between Cooper and Dougie, like be a better man than Dougie was, and be, but be his own man. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I, I have faith. I have faith that this new, new Cooper, Dougie Cooper, uh, will, <laughs> will, will do the right thing. Yes. Yeah. And he's got a BMW. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> that helps. <laughs> Good start. <laughs> yeah. Not bad. Um, I like at the beginning of this episode, we, we sort of get two endings immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ending of, of evil Cooper and the ending of Dougie. That's kind of how I felt about 17 as well, because yeah. about halfway through the episode, you get the the end of Bob, which is which is sort of signals the end for a lot of the characters who are in the sheriff's office as well, um, which is kind of nice because, of course, at the end of the original series, it was just this like all these monster cliffhangers. And it seems like what David Lynch has done here is he's decided to immediately tie up some loose ends but also keep plenty open for speculation absolutely plenty open i think we'll (laughs) maybe we can get to a rundown when we get to the end here um from from here we sort of the episode is very focused from this point forward i mean this is an all cooper all the time episode and we return to the the woods to the fire walk with me timeline i guess is the best way to refer to it um we get uh we get cooper leading laura by the hand then that uh the sound that signals their separation that kind of like it's like a single cicada mm-hmm. and, uh, you know is kind of how i i did it. then the weird whooshing laura screams and she vanishes i had wondered if the um if the if the sound uh, was the sound that that like horrible frog roach thing makes? Yeah, yeah, 
I would I would say that that's it's definitely an insectoid sound, mm-hmm. um, and it, not a pleasant sound. Like if you right. if you heard that if that woke you up in the dead of night, you would uh, turn on all the lights and and reach for your baseball bat. Yeah, most definitely for sure. Uh, when that happens, that the vanishing all of a sudden Cooper is in the red room. Uh, he gets the the line from Mike: "The is it future or is it past?" And he glances next to Mike to the chair, and Laura's not there. That's what that's what I interpreted in that scene. That like he was looking. They 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 focused on that empty chair because in the past. When you know he's been in the red room at times, that's where Laura has been. Did you pick up on that? Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And I mean, we saw in in seventeen, and as you just mentioned in eighteen, Cooper leading Laura through the forest, and there was already some evidence that that her timeline has been altered. So perhaps um, as a result of that, that's why she didn't end up end up in the chair. Absolutely. Uh, we then get some kind of a repeat of some of the uh, Red Room stuff in part two, I believe, where uh, Cooper sees the arm. But this time it's not the evolution of the arm. It's just the arm. Mm-hmm. And the arm, what does the arm say? The arm says uh, something that Audrey said. The arm says, um, after it sort of goes through the repetition that we saw in um, episode two, as you said, it says, is this the story of the little girl down the lane? And then is it, and it asks more emphatically. Is it? Is it? (laughs) I am the arm and I sound like this. And (laughs) yeah, (laughs) he's blowing bubbles. (laughs) Like if a toddler were making that sound, it would be adorable, but it's a brain tree. Not great. Yeah, not, not quite as adorable. Uh, then we, again, like the Laura stuff in this episode, it'll be a, a theme. Like it's almost like it's looping because now Laura is back and she's whispering to Coop and she screams and she floats away or like she doesn't like float away. Like she, you know, becomes part of the curtain and sort of skitters out of existence, I guess, is the best in an upward manner. Mm hmm. Sounds sounds good to me. Yeah. Then Cooper uh, is he's sort of like marching through the red room now. The various the various eras of the red room. He seems to have full control of his surroundings, and he looks very angry. Like maybe not angry is maybe angry may not be the right word, but maybe determined. Mm-hmm. Um, but he approaches Leland Palmer, and Leland tells him again, which I think was in part two of this, to find Laura. Mm-hmm. And that same line, um, then we see Cooper again walking. He waves his hand and the curtains flutter as he's walking down kind of that hallway of curtains. Uh, the curtains flutter. He exits and he's in Glastonbury Grove with the sycamore trees. And Diane is waiting for him. And what does she say to him? Is it really you? Is it really you? And he says yes. And they have their sort of quiet moment there. And then all of a sudden they're on the road. <laughs> they're they're driving. At first, when they were driving, I thought they were on the same road that Evil Cooper was in when he had his Garmin Bozia gushing incident. 
in part three, just like anonymous desert road. Yeah, I mean, it, it it very well could have been, but I don't think we'll be able to tell. Yes. Yeah, unless there's still like a wrecked car and just a bunch of uh, corn vomit everywhere. Like, got to clean that up. <laughs> <laughs> it's making people sick. Um, they are driving down this road. There are massive power lines everywhere around them. Uh, there, there, there's not much t- conversation going on between them. Diane is very pensive. Uh, she asks him, you sure you want to do this? So whatever they're doing, you know, they've discussed, I would gather from that. And she goes on to say, you don't know what it'll be like. And Cooper's answer to that is, I know. Um, they get to... 430 miles on the nose and Diane tries one more time to think about it Cooper uh he gets uh, he gets out of the car he checks it out he comes back there's that strange electric buzzing noise um they kiss they start to drive and they do that sketching out of existence thing that we've become accustomed to this season of Twin Peaks and then all of a sudden it's night and they're driving at night. <laughs> Do you have anything to add for this scene? I think now I can't quite remember, but I'm pretty sure there's um there was sort of when when Bad Cooper was driving at night, there was ominous music in the background, and I believe the same music was playing when oh. when Diane and Cooper suddenly appeared driving at night. I would have to double check that. But um, that that music showed up a couple of times. It's kind of difficult to hear if you're not listening for it. But um, if I'm not mistaken, it shows up there. Yeah. Moral of the story, don't drive at night. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. If, avoid it if you can. Um, they, they book a motel somewhere on this journey. And... Uh, Looks like they're going to go into room seven. Why don't you tell us a little bit about this scene? There's, you know, specifically before they get in the room, um, you know, kind of what what happens to to Diane specifically. Yeah, this is very curious. So they they park. Cooper goes into the motel, presumably to book the room. Um, Diane stays in the car. And as she's looking towards the entrance to the motel, she suddenly sees another Diane um, step out from behind the pillar. I think it's important to note here that um, the Diane who appears from behind the pillar also has red hair, um, which perhaps signifies the real Diane, right, rather than the white hair, which was Tulpa Diane. So who is, who is this new Diane um, whether it's another another Tulpa Diane or some weird looped timelines, uh, I'm not I'm not too sure about that. But um, yeah, Cooper yeah. comes back. They go into room seven, and uh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And um, Diane turns on the light when they get inside the room. Cooper immediately asks her to turn it off, which she does. And then uh, she says, what happens now? And he says, come here, Diane. And uh, what follows is, is one of the most 
uncomfortable sex scenes I think I've ever seen. Yeah, in a uh, in a show, I think if we do the math in this show, I think there are three sex scenes in the show. There's there's Sam and Tracy in the first episode. Ends badly. Yeah. <laughs> there's Dougie and Janie E, which... <laughs> pretty funny yes <laughs> um and then there's this one which is probably the worst of the three in that it's you know diane is covering his face she's crying at one point um cooper is sort of expressionless through the whole thing right the, which which reminded me a lot of bad cooper yeah there's there's definitely an edge to this cooper Mm-hmm. That's that's new. Like the the fun love and coop that we all know. Once he walked through that doorway at the Great Northern, something happened to him. You know, there's there's he's all business at this point. I don't know that he's that he's menacing, but he's certainly not tender. <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe maybe so. The, the different iterations of Cooper that we've seen come out of the lodge. We had bad Cooper, we had Dougie, we had Dougie Cooper, and we have real Cooper. They're probably all parts of Cooper, you know? And so maybe now that, now that most of those other iterations have been destroyed, perhaps part of bad Cooper is now showing up more in Cooper's personality because it's no longer separate. Yeah. You know, like a multiple personalities type deal. He's getting all glommed together. Yeah. yeah. Very, very weird. Oh, and the, um, the gosh, the song, yes, uh, the song from part eight is playing. Yeah. The the platters, my (laughs) prayer, the platters, which is like the message of that song is like, it's not a, it's not a lovey love song. It's kind of a depressing, like, you know, my prayer is to never just like for you never to leave me sort of, you know, vibe like it's more heartache than it is heartfelt. I thought mm-hmm. um, I agree. That. And uh, yeah. And, and especially with its, you know, its use in one of the more disturbing scenes uh, in this run. And then, then in that scene, it's a pretty interesting doubling of that, uh, that song. Uh, so that happens. And the next morning, uh, Coop wakes up calls out for for Diane. She's gone. There is a note on the side of the bed and the note says, uh, you know, when you read this, I'll be gone. It's like, I I think like one of the lines was like, it's like, I don't even know who you are anymore. Uh, The note is addressed to Richard and signed by Linda. Which were names that uh, the firemen mentioned in episode one. Yes. Um, but I, I was trying to think of Lindas in the series. I couldn't come up with a single Linda. The only Richard I could think of was Richard Horn. Um, yeah, curious. Yes, and so yeah, the giant, the two, kind of the two coded things that are three coded things the giant said or the fireman said in the beginning was uh, Richard and Linda, two birds, one stone, and then four four thirty. So now all of those things have been said. We knew that. Cooper had a plan to get two birds with one stone. Um, there's the Richard and Linda name. And then 430 was the distance that Cooper and Diane drove to get to that place where they became unstuck in time. Um, so he wakes up. There's this note. Diane is gone. Linda is gone. He um, he leaves the hotel room and it's 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 apparent that he's in a completely different place a completely different hotel, a completely different car. Everything is, everything is different. 
Um, despite this, he does not seem unmoored by that revelation. <laughs> I mean, he seemed to not be, he seemed curious about the note, but not terribly surprised. Yes. And if it's, you know, did he remember what the fireman told him? Is that the, you know, is that, is that what we were to assume? Probably. Um, you know, I assume that this, this Cooper contains multitudes, um, and all of these experiences have not been lost on him. He, we find out shortly thereafter is in Odessa, Texas, uh, home of the Permian Panthers. If you've ever read Friday Night Lights, um, <laughs> it's a great. You book. know, and why not? Why yeah. not travel to one more state? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Just mix another Western state in there. Um, he is driving and he see, sees a diner called Judy's. So there's that name, Judy. Eat at uh, Judy's. Eat at Judy's. It's a, you know, I've got an Aunt Judy and uh, I'll, I don't know that I'll ever be able to say her name the same way again. I'll just start calling her Jow Day. <laughs> <laughs> An Extreme negative force. <laughs> yes, right. Write your, uh, write your Christmas card that way. Yes. Right? Dear Aunt Extreme negative, negative Force. force. Uh, he, Cooper walks in, it's pretty sparsely populated. There's a table with an old couple. I like that they're sitting on the same side of the table. I think that that's, you know, an interesting choice. And well, you know what that reminded me of? I'm sorry to interrupt, no. but it reminded me of the diner scene in fire walk with me where, um, Desmond and Sam are oh, talking yeah. to that old couple. And I believe that they're also sitting on the same yes. side of the table. Ooh, I wonder if they're the same actors. That would be totally totally wild i'm sure Maybe. I, I, i'm sure i'm sure some of my internet deep dives would have pulled somebody would have pulled that but uh mm. but yeah that's a really great callback well done um there's sit cooper grabs a table there's also there's a table of some dudes uh you kind of see them at first the waitress comes over uh pours cooper coffee cooper is he drinks the coffee but he's not that excited about it and the way that he you know when she says, do you want coffee? He kind of doesn't reply. I agree with you that, that this Cooper is, is not, not our original Cooper. Yeah. Um, I mean, the first time we see him drink coffee at the double R or no, at the great Northern, he like does the thing where he holds his hand up yeah. and he makes the, the, wait a moment. <laughs> yes. You know, makes a big show of it. And, uh, certainly does not, uh, does not have that moment uh the waitress is played by francesca eastwood cleanest clint eastwood's daughter huh yeah cool, cool. She's, in, she's in twin peaks and clint eastwood's her dad that's uh that's not bad two for two <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um the the dudes are hassling the waitress cooper calls out to them um does he ask about the other waitress first he does. he does. Yes. Mm -hmm. So he says, is there another waitress who works here? And the waitress who's working says, yes, but it's her day off. And then she kind of mutters, actually, it's her third day off, uh, which seems like the other waitress has been skipping work. Mm -hmm. Skipping work, not showing up. Um, so then the, the waitress is being hassled by the dudes. Cooper interjects, asks them what they're doing. The dudes come over. One of the dudes come, or they all come over. They menace Cooper with a gun. Cooper shows some of the the sick skills we saw both Evil Cooper and Dougie exploit, uh, deploy when when faced with a gun. Uh, 
you know, brings the gun hard down on the table, kicks dude one in the groin, draws his own gun, shoots dude two in the toe, and then gets the drop on dude three, who at first denies having a gun, but then later Cooper asks him again. And again, I mean, we've seen, we've always known Cooper to be an excellent officer of the law in moments like this. Uh, he's got quick reflexes, he's well-trained, but there is something robotic about the way that he disarms these men. Um, and superhuman as well. Yes, yeah. Yeah, no fear, no hesitation. Uh, he does that. He he gathers their gun. He puts them in the fryer. <laughs> um, at one point, what is the... Uh, Oh, one of the one of the older couple. Like, doesn't the woman say to the man, "Who is he?" <laughs> I think so. Or, oh gosh, I can't remember exactly what she says, but I think it was something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah old couple. Who is he? That's what my yeah. And then I, I wrote, I wrote there's like, that's what I want to know. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, he takes the guns. He sticks him in the deep fryer. Seems like a pretty dangerous decision, but she acknowledges and says he doesn't know if the the hot oil will set the bullets off. Um. But then he, again, he asks the second waitress for the or the waitress for the other waitress's address. Um, she's she's not thrilled to be so close to Cooper. I mean, I don't I don't blame her, even though he has gotten her out of this situation. He's a he's clearly a dangerous dude. Yes. Yes. So he gets the uh, he gets the address. He drives. Um, what's the first thing he notices when he stops at the house? Let's yeah. see. Um, he pulls up. The first thing I noticed was the lawn or lack thereof. <laughs> so the, there was no lawn, but he sees the telephone pole. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. And the number six telephone mm -hmm. pole is there humming away, looking over whomever may be inside that house. Um, this is another example. He knocks on the door. Uh, then instead of the door opening and revealing what's inside, we go inside. And before Cooper sees who's on the other side of the door, we see that it is someone who looks an awful lot like Laura Palmer. Indeed. We, we come to find that, uh, her name is Carrie page. She has no idea who Laura Palmer is. Um, Tell us a little bit about the uh, Cooper kind of not he doesn't interrogate her, but he tries to get something out of her or tries to, like, make her recall something. What are some of the questions he asks her? Right. He seems clearly to to try and get some sort of just reaction from her. Um, so he asks if if she knows the name Laura Palmer. He says your dad is Leland, um, which she's kind of like, OK, whatever. And then he says, your mother's name is Sarah. And at this point, Carrie makes makes a sort of a strange sound. And um, and the way that she says Sarah, it's clear that something has happened, whether or not she recognizes the name. Um, that and, and she says it. She sounds very young when she says it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially as we get to know Carrie, like she's a she's a kind of a no bullshit kind of person, <laughs> and for her to sound meek uh, or young in that moment is clearly not um, what she's like all the other times. Um, 
yeah, that Sarah was a pretty haunting, uh, pretty haunting delivery of that line. Their, their exchange goes on, uh, Cooper, he wants to take her home. It's, it's very important. He's, he's trying to, uh, he's trying to, to, to explain what he's going to do, but he, you know, she doesn't know what's going on. Um, she's in trouble. So she's, you know, she's ready to go anyways, like riding with the FBI could be pretty good for her. She says at one point, mm-hmm. um, ask whether she's had, and he says, Twin Peaks, Washington, and she says, DC. <laughs> and uh no state and then it, at this point she um she goes to get her things we finally kind of pan around the room a little bit and see a little bit more uh, the first thing we see is a white horse statue or figurine on the mantle um, the white horse being something that sarah palmer saw i think um when when maddie was murdered and when laura was murdered i believe don't we see that in fire walk with me Yes, um, we do. Yep. Yeah. So, so very, uh, you know, famous Twin Peaks signifier there. Uh, we also see a man with his head blown off, <laughs> or at least not blown off, but clearly shot in the head. And More head wounds. <laughs> yes. And quite a large gun on the floor next to him. Um, also, as she's getting ready to leave, she asks if she'll need a coat. It is at this point that the phone starts to ring. The phone is never answered. It remains ringing uh, as they leave. Who do you think's on the other end? Oh. I mean, could be anybody. Could be. I mean, if we're, if I'm thinking uh, non-mystically, it's probably Texas police. <laughs> Not mystically, but then we, we are familiar with in... Um, in the scene where where Evil Cooper was in the Dutchman's and the phone is ringing, right? He finds himself jettisoned from the Dutchman's uh, and the and the payphone in his hand. So the phone has been used as some sort of uh, extrapolation device at some point. So I wonder if there was some force out there was trying to you know delete or remove one of these two players from. Maybe it was Philip Jeffries calling. It could be. It could be. We'll always wonder. Uh, they're they're going to get food on the way. Um, <laughs> so now they're on the road. More night driving. More, uh, more creepy noises. Uh, did you watch any of these episodes with closed captions on? I did not. So I mean, besides like the obvious character names, place names, FBI, Twin Peaks, place things like that. I think the word that appeared the most within the closed captioning of Twin Peaks was, was some variety of whoosh. <laughs> atmospheric whooshing, whooshing sounds, electric whooshing. There's just a lot of whooshing going on. Um, I had a friend who used to work in, in closed captioning and talking to him about how, how they go through the process of, of delineating noises was pretty funny yeah Um, i I bet that's uh pretty great right especially you know especially with music he's like you know if we're doing this for deaf people then this is like the most nihilistic nihilistic (laughs) thing right oh there's music playing but you'll never hear it yes (laughs) so we just that's why they just go with three musical notes like three quarter notes (laughs) exactly i guess 
Um, they the long night drive begins with the whooshing. Uh, for a second, you wonder if they're being followed, and then nope, <laughs> not being followed. But that you're still like you're still menaced as those mm-hmm. those lights are kind of hanging behind the two of them. At one point, they sort of like frame like Laura's head or Carrie Page's head in a weird way, like they're coming from behind her seat, like it almost gives her like a halo effect um, coming around her head. But then the car passes them. Uh, mm-hmm. She says a number of things that Cooper does not respond to at all. Um, I thought that this section with the night driving was like so relatably spooky. Yes. Um, in the sense that, you know, I'm sure that all of us have either been in the situation where we are driving at night and just like things are a little bit weird or you're driving at night and you think someone's following you and like, of course, no one is following you. But there's just that this episode does such a great job of just really building um, that sense of unease by drawing from relatable experiences. Yeah. And, and very um, a different type of night driving scene. Like usually with Lynch, we see the headlights splashed on the road and this time we're seeing just like the, the interior of the car and -hmm. like how dark it is around them and how eerie their faces look lit by the dash when there's no, there's no, you know, no light coming from outside the car. Yeah. Pretty, pretty haunting. Uh, some of the things that Carrie says in the, uh, in the car, uh, Odessa, I tried to keep a clean house. Um, you know, in those days I was too young to know any better. I think she says it's a long way at one point. Um, it's a very kind of like cryptic, like phrases that make you feel for her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, she's been through some stuff. Uh, they stopped to get some gas. I really liked the way that the, the gas station was lit. Um, it's almost like it's kind of like floating in the darkness in a way. There's nothing else around it. And it's also, yeah, what, was, what were you going to say? I thought I thought it was lit in a way that was similar to the convenience store. Exactly. And it, you know, it was a it was a full service gas station, so definitely very convenience store esque. Um they get in the car, they continue to drive, and, and pretty soon thereafter they're in Twin Peaks. Man, it'd be nice if all of my long distance drives went that quickly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I um I, I know you drove from from Pittsburgh to Philadelphia this weekend. I was wondering if you were going to check out the uh, FBI bureau office in Philly, uh, yeah. see if Gordon Cole's kicking around there. Um, exactly. Unfortunately, as a family vacation, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't think that I. Uh, I should suggest that as a, a family outing. Let's go to the FBI. It'll be fun. I promise. <laughs> It'll be fun. But I I looked up the distance between Pittsburgh and Philly, and I was really hoping it would be 430 miles, but it was <laughs> it wasn't 430. I think it's 304. So you do have the you know the same you can you can do the anagram thing and and move those numbers around and get there pretty quickly. Um, yes, <laughs> uh, they they pass the double R. The double R is, is all shut down for the night. So it's it's got to be pretty late at night, right? If the double R is closed. Yeah, because we've yeah. seen some scenes uh, with the double R open at nighttime. Um, never, of course, explicitly stated how late. But yeah, I mean, I was guessing like, like I don't know, midnight later. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's very desolate. Uh, there's no other cars on the road. There, there are, you know, the double R is closed. 
they arrive pretty quickly at the Palmer house. And one thing that I, I, you know, whenever you get the exterior shot of the Palmer house, it's always through the eyes of a lurker. Oh yeah. You know, like it's, it's the, the, the screen, like the, the shot wobbles, you know, and it's like slightly from below. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not, it's definitely like a person with a camera rather than envisioning like a whole camera crew on the other side of it. Yeah. It's a pretty creepy effect. I mean, that, Mm -hmm. that house is a creepy place. Um, and they, they, they walk up the stairs hand in hand and Cooper knocks. And again, we see from inside the house, we see um, a shot from inside the door. uh, And then the door opens and we see this woman that we've never seen before. Um, Interesting point. As we discuss the scene, the actress playing the woman who owns the house is in the real world. The woman who owns the house what yeah so a number of years ago i think four or five years ago the palmer house went up for sale and some twin peaks fans tried to start a kickstarter to raise enough money to buy it and like turn it into a twin peaks museum and did not were not able to garner enough funds to do that and this this like man and woman bought this house not knowing anything about it not knowing the significance of it um and then uh, when uh, this came along, Lynch approached them about filming scenes there and then, you know, had the idea to cast her in this part, which is, you know, pretty neat. <laughs> that is very neat. But yeah. gosh, after, I don't know, I, I wonder if, if those people have then gone back and watched the series because I wouldn't want to live in that house anymore if no, I was. <laughs> it would, I, would have a, uh, I would have a pretty tough time. Uh, it's a pretty tough time living there. Um, so they have this conversation. Cooper asks if Sarah Palmer is there. The woman uh, who has has no idea who Sarah Palmer is. And the conversation is very, like, very stunted from this point on. Like, do you own the house? Yes, we own the house. Um, Cooper is, like, probing for information, trying to make sense. Because, like, this is his big plan. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think part of the part of the thing that makes this conversation so awkward too is that um, the woman is constantly like fact checking with presumably her husband. So there's this this weird thing where it's it's a conversation between two people plus one off screen person. Yes, and the, the his voice is muffled like a Charlie Brown adult. Like you can't. You can hear him. Yeah, you can hear him speaking, but there's no no sense to it. Uh, what are some of the things we learn about the house? Well, we learn that uh, no one named Sarah Palmer has ever lived in the house, uh, that she doesn't know anyone named Sarah Palmer, that um, that they own the house, that the person who sold them the house was Mrs. Chalfont, that the woman who owns the house now is Mrs. Tremond, Alice Tremond. Um, yeah, let's see. That they don't know who had the house before Mrs. Shelfont. Yes, and we do know from our past Twin Peaks experience that Shelfont and Tremond are the names 
attributed to the the grandmother and the grandson who are clearly some sort of black lodge entity um so interesting to see those names come back i mean like the it was shalfont who gave the painting to laura in fire walk with me that's that's her name in that scene i believe mm-hmm. and then i think i think tremon comes up with um when donna visits them with yes. the meals on wheels yes and that's the only time i think that we hear the name tremont i think because in fire walk with me it's the shalfont trailer mm-hmm. that uh, chet desmond finds the ring under is it yes not? interesting interesting so there's that's immediately like your your antennae go up and you're like oh well you know something's going on here these are these are names that mean something um and they have this conversation and it doesn't go anywhere and cooper is very perplexed and carrie page is very perplexed and i think in one of the best shots of the show if not all of television the the slow shot of the two of them from behind walking down the steps down the walk you know, just sort of like stunned, you know, Cooper is stunned. Carrie page has no idea what the hell's going on. And the two of them just look lost as they like approach this dark street. I found that to be very, very moving scene. You could, I agree. I mean, so many wonderful, like desolate shots in this, in this series. And, uh, we're really close to the end here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, there is something about this. I mentioned this to you. We were texting a little bit today before this, but the, the way that they're standing in the middle of the street in the middle of the night and Cooper is staggered and he's trying to sort it all out in his head. Like, what is this hap? What is happening? Um, I want to kind of return to his state of mind at this point when we get through the wrap up. Um, but, but his, his posture changes abruptly, abruptly. And like he, it's almost like he's deflated or like he, he kind of hunches over and he turns and looks at Carrie page and like very, like with like an air of desperation, he says, what year is this? And he, he never gets an answer to his question. Uh, Amelia, you tell us what happens. Take us, take us home <laughs> or lack thereof. Yeah. <laughs> so Carrie is looking up at the house and as she's looking up at the Palmer house, which has all the lights on, um, she suddenly hears Sarah Palmer saying, Laura, she does her famous Laura Palmer screen. We see all the lights in the house suddenly go, uh, go out, go on. It's almost like it's a negative of the house. Yes. Um, and then everything goes black. Yeah. There's like a snap of electricity right at the end. Like, mm-hmm. a, like a, like the lights seem to go out or negative And then like a pop of light. Um, you do see Cooper's face at one point and he's shocked by the scream. Um, and then it's black and that's it. <laughs> That's, that's it. That's the end. The the end credits are um there's music playing over them. Very slow battlemente music, I believe. Um and it's just a slow motion shot of 
a black and white slow motion shot of Laura whispering into Cooper's ear in the red room. Uh, there is no electric sound during the Lynch Frost uh, thing at the end of the end credits. Like their little production logo is silent. I believe it was also silent at the end of the 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 original series finale, um, which is interesting. But yeah, that's the end of the show. <laughs> so that's it. Talk to you later. <laughs> yeah. Right. Nothing more to talk yeah, about nothing, wrapped up in a nice neat bow. <laughs> nothing more to discuss here. Um, so I think from here, maybe we can spend some time talking about uh, what what we thought. Like, what's your interpretation? If you had to say, to, you know, what, is this, what does this ending mean to you? What do you, you know, in order to, to rest your, put your mind at ease and get some sleep, what what do you subscribe you know what do you subscribe to as far as what all this means i i still don't have a a good explanation um one of the things you sent me something today that was like a you know a, a possible happy ending i don't i don't think that there are too many happy endings in in twin peaks um so i thought that perhaps you know, the, the sort, the whole Tremont and Chalfont thing, um, has always been about illusions. So I thought perhaps the whole appearance of them in the house was some kind of illusion, you know, in that Sarah Palmer and, or Judy were still present in the house somewhere and almost putting on this show, um, for the, for the purpose of, of pulling Laura back into, back into their evil, evil orbit. Um, beyond that, I don't, I don't know. I don't have, I don't have too many good ideas here. Yeah. I, you know, I, um, I ride or die with Cooper. And so I spent probably the first week processing this mostly like concerned with him mm -hmm. and this idea of, uh, that he's, he's kind of a man lost in time is, is like, that's, you know, that I I'm willing to say that with him. Like he had this singular focus in every version of him, not every version. Cause Dougie really didn't have any focus, but, <laughs> but evil Cooper and original Dale Cooper and this new sort of like hybrid Cooper, they were all pushing towards something. They were all, you know, they were all on a quest and whether their intentions were good or evil, um, you know, Cooper, this Cooper like gets an address, like that's just more coordinates, you know, evil Cooper was obsessed with these coordinates and they led to his undoing. And there's, there's this, you know, this kind of almost, I don't know if, if I want to call it like hubris or something that, that, you know, our hero Cooper has, like, he's like, does he think that he can save Laura? Is that the right thing to do? And by attempting to do that, does he make things worse for everybody or, or specifically for himself and her? Um, I mean, it seems to me that he that the possibility that everything has changed hits him only in that moment. Yes. I mean, we, we had talked about that a little bit um, the last time we spoke about, you know, like what what happens to Hawk? What happens to the Mitchum brothers? What happens to Sheriff Truman after all of this? Is it possible that, you know, none of them, even 
even exist anymore as a result of Laura's, you know, no longer death. Right. Um, and it, it seems like the implications of that really hit Cooper all at once when he's already so lost, when his plan has has more or less failed at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's really um, it's it's really hard to think about <laughs> mm-hmm. um, without getting. And I, I don't I don't think that it's a it's not like a nihilistic ending or a terribly depressing ending. Um, but I think that it goes to, you know, like, again, we talked about this, like, like with, with the things that log lady said before she passed and, you know, death isn't an end. It's just a change. And if Cooper's trying to defeat death, like he's keeping, he's keeping Laura from changing into what she should have been. And, you know, maybe by, removing Laura from that equation, like the, the white lodge energy that was, that was placed in Laura is now placed in Carrie page. And because of that, she becomes a target for the worst evil in the world. And, you know, he didn't save Laura. He just sort of transferred her misery into another version of her interconnected through all of these things. I, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm deeply satisfied by the ending in a way that I certainly did not have from the ending of the original series, even though it's a very, like you said, it's, it's very ambiguous. It's. I completely agree. You know, and I think that this ending was so effective as opposed to the ending of the original series, because we got so many great emotionally cathartic moments and emotionally rewarding moments, you know, like Ed and Norma finally together um, and we just, uh, Andy and Lucy, we get to see the intricacies of their wonderful life. And, and as you have mentioned before, like good things happen to good people, which I think gives us this wonderful, warm, fuzzy, emotional feeling. But at the same time, David Lynch doesn't satisfy his viewers intellectually, which I think is a fantastic thing because we could, you know, we could keep this podcast going. We could have conversations about this last episode every week until we die. And we probably still wouldn't cover all the possibilities. Yeah. I mean, just thinking about it as a, as, and especially the way that we consumed it, like now people will consume, you know, the 18 hours of this in two days mm-hmm. and they'll, they'll just, they'll like mainline it and, and get it all so fast and their experience will be totally different. Um, with that and the way that it affects them and the way that moves them and the, you know, the fact that we waited four months to get Cooper back Mm -hmm. and then our time with him was so short and, you know, part of me is like, I just want to go see him bust up one eyed jacks again. Like, is there, is there an evil brothel that he can take down? Like, let's do that. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But, but like, you don't get that and you get this, like. You know, he's always been on a, you know, I love this idea that he's not just an FBI agent assigned to a murder case, that there's something more to him and that there's a real risk in doing the work that he's chosen to do. Um, And the risk is that it's not just that it's dangerous. It's that if you are not in full control of yourself, that you could be lost despite your best intentions. Um, it's a pretty, 
you know, it, it's a, it's, it, it makes me like the, the character of Cooper more that he was willing to kind of like take on evil in that way, despite the outcome, I think being pretty negative for him. Mm -hmm. And I agree with you. And I think that he always, he always knew, um, if not the scope of what he was getting into, at least the risks. And I think that that's one of the things that really sets apart, that sets him apart from some of the other Blue Rose agents. Um, I mean, in the time that we spent with, with Chet Desmond, he seemed pretty great. Obviously, Gordon Cole, Albert, Tammy, all of them are, are fantastic and have stuck to their cause. But clearly, at some point, Philip Jeffries wavered, right? And now he has been he has been subsumed by the risks of these blue rose cases and turned into whatever he is now. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny to, to think about it. So I think let's leave it there for now. Um, I, I wonder maybe we'll, maybe we'll revisit this in like a year. <laughs> we'll come back to it. I'm sure like by then we'll have all, all consumed all kinds of crazy theories. Uh, you know, the, the internet think tank has been busy with the show for the last, you know, four and a half months and will continue to do so. I'm sure there'll be some really interesting unified theories out there. Um, the thing I mentioned, I sent you, you mentioned that was a, it was the la it was the endings of part 17 and 18, you know, synced up together and there's some pretty interesting, uh, you know, coincidences of, you know, when when Cooper and Laura are standing on the porch in part 18 at that exact same moment, like in the timeline in part 17, we see inside the Palmer home. And that's where where Sarah or Jaude, uh is smashing the Laura Palmer picture. Um, so there's kind of like, is that going on in there while this is happening? Like, is you know, that's I think that's one of the theories in that video I sent. And there is dozens of videos like that. Um, so, you know, when you, it, it's sort of rewarding at the end of it all to go back and uh, and and dig in to that stuff and really just like let it let it tickle your brain. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like Lynch Lynch put it out there. We all received it the way that he wanted us to receive it. It's ours now. Like that's what that's what art is like. It's. The artist puts it on the canvas and then once it goes from the canvas into your brain, like it's yours and that's pretty neat. I completely agree. Yeah. So before we get out of here, I just wanted to touch on um, a couple things. One, the, the dangling plot threads. <laughs> There's one massive one, obviously, which is, mm -hmm. which is Audrey. Um, she is, you know, locked inside her mind, locked inside some sort of asylum after her uh, dance, which I believe was at the end of part 16. Yes. Yes. That happens. Like we net, we get no more mention of her. We, we do get the mention of the little girl who lived down the lane, but that's a, that's a pretty big plot thread. Um, what are some of the other plot threads uh, that you're curious about? Um, like if you, you would watch a spinoff to, to learn more. Well, if I can just throw out one super quick, quick theory about, about Audrey. Yes. So we saw, we saw the effects on Diane when, um, 
she was raped by Evil Cooper. And we know that Audrey was also raped by Evil Cooper. And hearing the lines, you know, is this a little girl at the end of the lane? I wonder if she's perhaps trapped in part of the Black Lodge. Though, of course, when we see her, the room is all white. Um, yeah, that's if, if she's not even in a real place, yeah. per se. I think that's that's pretty accurate. And that the the maybe the version of her at the roadhouse is the Tulpa version or um, or just, yeah, just some sort of mental construct that's not out in the real world. Like she doesn't exist in the real world that as we know it. But I think that that's pretty accurate, especially because. Diane said to Gordon and the Blue Rose team that Cooper took her to like a convenient, you know, took her to the convenience store, took her to the Dutchman's. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, maybe that's maybe he did the same with Audrey. And And it's I mean, they have similar lines when Diane was saying, I am not I am not me. mm -hmm. And Audrey, Audrey says, like, I don't know who I am anymore. Um, there were, I thought that there were some pretty striking similarities between them. Yes. Excellent theory. Thank yeah. you. Uh, any others? Any other uh, plot threads? In terms of spinoffs, I would love to watch. I'd love to find out what happened to Jerry Horton. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. just see how he lives the rest of his life. Jerry was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think Jerry Horns would be, you know, be like in a weird like adult swim show, like 15 minutes every two weeks. Yep. Him just getting super high in the woods. Uh, you know, I'd like to know what becomes of Ben Horn and Beverly. Mm-hmm. Um, really curious about Red. Yeah. Right. What, what his deal was. I mean, clearly he, something's going on in the town of Twin Peaks and Sparkle is 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 bringing everybody down. But mm-hmm. like he, you know, he has that great scene with Richard Horn. Mm-hmm. Where, like the dime is in his mouth and all that. And then we only ever see him one other time, which is when he, he greets uh, Shelly at the double R after the, or right before the shooting, mm-hmm. the kid shoots the gun and then he's just gone. Um, I'd watch a Wally Brando show. Yes. Yeah. I, I sort of like, you know, I wonder what he does for a living. Um, <laughs> I wonder how many ascots he has. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm not that curious about? I'm not that curious about what uh, all the, you know, like last 10 minutes of Twin Peaks at the Roadhouse where we saw all these random people and all these random new characters. I just like don't really care that much about any of them. Yeah, I think it's, you know, my interpretation of that is it's like dual purpose. Like it's one, it's to show that like this is just what America is like, like Mm -hmm. Twin, Twin Peaks is any town USA. But also that there's there's something there's something wrong. There's some sort of decay happening there. I mean, like none of the conversations that are being had are good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's never like, yeah, I had a great day at work. I got a promotion. And then I came home and I made BLTs for dinner. It was right. awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's all it's all pretty, pretty lousy. Uh, there's there's rashes and girls screaming on dance floors and. And all kinds of madness. People are off their meds. And yeah. There's a nut house. Yeah. No, I agree yeah. with you. We there's don't. Some- we don't know if Billy's the drunk or not. I assume that that was Billy, but who mm-hmm. knows? Who knows if Billy's even a real thing? Um. So I think that's that's all of it. I you know, I Freddie. I, I would watch Freddie. Yeah. I mean, Freddie's lived. I wonder if he can take the glove off now. 
now that he's now that he's like lived his purpose. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting there. And my last question to you, and and Lynch has sort of in a couple of interviews he's done since then, not really interviews, like more like speaking engagements. People have asked questions about more Twin Peaks. So my question to you is, do you want more? Right now, no. Yeah. Maybe my answer will change in a couple of years. But for now, I I am content to to puzzle over what we've been given. I think that that's, that's good. I mean, whenever someone creates a masterpiece, and I think this is pretty fair to say that this is Lynch's masterpiece. Um, certainly, I mean, I, I've, I've seen most, if not all of his feature films. I, I have some struggles with some of his newer things. Uh, I have my favorites that he's done, but this is on a level that it's an 18 hour movie that is totally wild. And, you know, has, I think like over 200 speaking roles, so many locations, so many plot threads. And yet it, at the end of it all, it all feels so cohesive. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm with you. I don't, at this point, I don't want more. Um, I, I, he stuck the landing. I don't, you know, like go off in the sunset. It's, you know, that you told your story. It met, you know, some made some people crazy. Uh, but I'm, I'm good. I'm pretty content. That being said, if in two and a half years, there's another, you know, that gum you like is going to come back in style tweet. From, from him and frost like i okay bring it on <laughs> you know, absolutely what, what's uh what do you got left in the, in the bag but i i kind of I, i'm i'm very happy with how it all ended i you know for a show that is depressing at times um certainly struggle you know a struggle to to wrap your head around uh it was a very warm show in a lot of ways um and uh yeah i i i'm i'm really happy uh we we had the experience to share it i'm i'm really glad that it was uh harry dean stanton's last role uh he passed away recently and um i thought that lynch was just so gracious to him uh as an actor and as a character in the show and gave him like two of the, you know, really profoundly sweet moment where he comforts the woman after her child's been hit by a car. And then just like a great, you know, remember forever, like him playing Red River Valley outside of his trailer Mm -hmm. was, you know, it was pretty special. I I agree. I agree. I agree. Well, I think, I think we're at the curtain call here. (laughs) See Uh, you at the curtain call. Do you have any, any closing remarks? Any, uh, Anything else you'd like to say before we we walk through that door? Well, just that it's been such a pleasure. Yeah, it's been, you know, this started as, as kind of like a lark, and, and uh, I think it's been a lot of fun. I've gotten a lot of nice feedback from people who've listened, so thank you for listening. Uh, if you've made it this far with us, um, it's a lot to watch the show and then listen to the two of us talk about it for sometimes longer than the show runs <laughs> uh, <laughs> itself. But uh, it's been it's been a real pleasure. Um, you know, I started this with the idea of um, the community that I had around the original Twin Peaks. And I found that experience to 
to be the case this time. Like there's a handful of people in my life that have been watching along with it and I've been discussing with it and they all appreciate it on different levels. You know, some are crazy and like, Hey, check out this theory, check this thing out that I found and like, like deep in it. And other people will just appreciate it as kind of a weird television show. And, uh, I, I really love that aspect of it. And, um, I have never, it's, it's my favorite story. So I think with that, we'll end there. All right. Well, Amelia, thank you very much. This has been great. Uh, I hope that we will, uh, we'll find an excuse to talk about Twin Peaks again. Um, even if it's a, a one year down the road reunion episode, you know, we've both got the Blu-ray. How do we feel about it one year later type thing, but we'll be back. I have no doubt. All right. I will talk to you soon. Sounds good. All right. Bye. Bye. Gentlemen, to Weevil.